On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. One, two, three. Sometimes great artists take a brief detour in their careers and record for an entirely different demographic, a much younger one. In this episode, we'll celebrate those unexpected detours. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're gonna come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, what is the greatest children's album of all time? That's the age-old question. up your volume a little bit okay cool it's good to be back here richie it's good you know and and i think this is a good place to start you just got back from las vegas where you celebrated 25 years of the grift your band the grift 25 years and eight of us went to las vegas to celebrate so some context there's been different members different lineups over the years and eight of the people that have been important members of the band over that time joined you in Las Vegas. Correct. And we're we're actually over 20 band members at this time. That's incredible. <laughs> it actually is. It's like a it's like a franchise really, right. except there's only one, but it's like people come and go. Some people have been in the band multiple times. And then they leave and then right. they come back. Um and yeah. you and Jeff are the OG. Yep. Been in it since the very beginning. And Pete is now over 20 years. Right. So, so it's not like he's a newbie. He's like no. he's like the Ron Wood yeah, of exactly. the grift. The FNG. So before we get into this topic, let's spend a minute talking about Las Vegas because not only did you celebrate 25 years of the grift, which is an incredible milestone for any band, you and Pete and Ryan Alfiero went to see U2 at the Sphere. We went to see U2 at the Sphere on Rich's suggestion, yeah, you really, you really encouraged me to do it where I was on the fence because it's not cheap. It's yes, not. It's the most expensive ticket I have ever bought and may ever will buy. Yeah, is that a sentence? Yeah, and I, I was on the fence, and after your glowing review, I bit the bullet, bought the ticket, and I can honestly say, at this point in my life, I would have spent twenty times that amount. Because the experience was so profound, I, I, I see it now as life before the sphere, and the second I walked out of the door after the show, life was different. It, it was a completely, overwhelmingly positive experience. So... If you're listening to this and you're thinking, wow, you know, this is just Clint speaking hyperbolically, let me tell you, he's not wrong. I'm not wrong. It's an incredible experience. It's multiply determined, right? It's the venue and the experience that the sphere provides or enables is incredible. Incredible. But that combined with the creativity of the visuals and then layer that on top of or intertwine with U2's music and Bono as a frontman. Yeah. It's transcendent. Before I went in, somebody told me it's like going to a concert in a hundred years. That's right. that's the equivalent. It's like so next level. Right. And so expectations are high when you hear that going in. Yeah. But the second you walk in there, it's like you're in the space station. It looks different, it feels different, the even lighting go- yeah, is different. Even going up the escalator. Yes. You're like you think you're boarding a ship yeah. to the moon. Still going. Absolutely mind-blowing. But the other thing that absolutely blew me away was the Edge and Bono are incredible singers yeah. and musicians. Yeah. And it really showed when you see two human beings just playing instruments and singing yeah. and 
I mean, obviously, Adam Clayton. And the drummer, who's not Larry Mullen Jr., was incredible, too. Yeah. Just steps into the greatest gig of all time. Gosh. Nice work, buddy. Nice work. Um, but he, he delivered, and he was great. But I was so blown away by the edge. I just I couldn't get enough of it. Well, and the fact that you were there for celebrating the longevity of this musical relationship that you've been in with these seven other guys and, you know, 19 others over the years. Like, there's something profound about that, seeing The Edge and Bono do their thing so well after all these years. Exactly. And Pete was sitting right next to me. Peter Day is my songwriting cohort yeah. as you are yeah but pete and i have written so many songs so together many. and performed them all the time together yeah. and it was i think six or seven times throughout the show i just had tears streaming down my face i would get to the point where i was like so overwhelmed by the power and the emotion of what was happening yeah just in terms of my best friends sitting next to me who I write songs with and sing with all the time and seeing these guys it's exactly what they did yeah. 30 years ago 40 years ago yeah. they just happen to be doing it in a much larger venue than Pete and I but man it's it's no different that's the key is that they just wrote songs I'm conscious of the risk of going on too long about this because you don't know what we're talking about right. unless you see it right. and so this is maybe a first for us where a good seven plus minutes into the episode and we haven't talked about the topic. The topic. You texted me last week and suggested this. And again, if our sphere detour made you forget, what is today's question again? Today's question is, what's the greatest children's album of all time? Okay, the best album for kids. Yep. What inspired you to text me and say, we need to do this? I was thinking about our demographic and like the people that listen to this show seem to be older mm-hmm. and have kids mm-hmm. and so i was very curious about the relationship between what parents listen to and what their kids love mm-hmm. eventually right and this all stems from the fact that my 11 year old son has a gig on wednesday so my son is now a songwriter and singer and is actually performing a show. So I think that's where it came from. Yeah, yeah. Is that I'm just thinking about what my kids listen to. And by the way, your son, Sam, is... I'll say it because you saying it, it will sound like you know, you're know you a biased, proud dad, which of course you are rightfully so. He's remarkable. He's, he's a genuine talent. And I'm so excited that you get to go on this journey. I know. And it's just the beginning of the journey. Yeah. And I know that. And I'm just in awe because we sing these songs and I don't have to teach him the harmony. Right. He just sings the harmony. Yeah. He understands the harmony. Never had a lesson, never had any. It's completely innate and from watching. Yeah. It's pretty cool. We did this three-part harmony thing yesterday. It was me and Peter and him and and we just started singing it. There was no like, okay, you do the this and that. On that, you got to hold this, you know, which happens every time. And he just nails it. We were always on our way, rolling up our sleeves, ever moving forward in the tracks where we lived our simple lives, kept our blinders on. It's really a joy to watch yeah. him, and it's a joy to watch you play with him. And you, as a parent, you know, because William's a musical, right? He Eventually, is. you guys are going to be, it's going to be the same thing. It's important to say you're not pushing Sam towards this. This is what Sam is drawn to. Yeah, I tried to get him into lessons yeah and like i tried and he was like no i don't want to do it okay yeah you know i'm just whatever you want so he's totally self-taught completely self-taught and self-motivated okay we're all right here we go again back to the the best albums for kids yep and and a lot of times there are genres of kids music meaning like the quintessential 
genre based kids album yeah. by a giant artist of that genre. Like, are you going to talk Rafi? I'm not talking Rafi. Talk Rafi. Well, I don't even know what that is. You like, know, like, I missed it, so I don't Baby know. Baby Beluga. Yeah. You know that song? Yeah. And, I didn't even look at that, like the Barney Raff, Rafi. When I think of this, I'm coming from a place of, as a parent, I would drive my kids places. What was the thing that got them into music? At a certain level, it's your job as a parent to teach your kids melody, yes. right? Or to teach your kids music. And it has to be simple, yep. right? You can't start with yes. Start. You can't start with prog rock. You can't start prog rock. So I tell you, let's just start from the top. Great. I think the Beatles yes. were, I know we talk about it all the time, but I played the Beatles nonstop. Yeah. Nonstop, because to me, in order to learn melody, it has to be simple. You know, there's a reason why three blind, three blind mice. It's a reason why these songs have lasted for generations and generations, because they're simple and they're memorable. But so are the early Beatles songs. Yes. And while yes, they are complex, somehow they are complex and simple and memorable. And so. I basically used the Beatles early catalog as my children's music. Yeah. Oh yeah, I tell you something. I think you'll understand. When I say that something, I wanna hold your hand. So I'm gonna start. Great. Okay, my first one is I've always wondered what's up with Alvin and the Chipmunks? What is going on there? Yeah. Right? How did they do it, for one? Because you hear it all the time. There's that one song, that Christmas one. Yeah. So here's the deal with Alvin and the Chipmunks. Created by Ross Bagdasarian. Started in 1958, hmm. and it consists of Alvin, Simon, and Theodore, who are anthropomorphic chipmunks. Bagdasarian made this this song called Witch Doctor in 1958, which is a novelty song. It's like a, a singer asks a witch doctor for romantic advice, um, and the witch doctor responds in a high-pitched, squeaky voice with a nonsense incantation, which creates like a, a, like a really catchy thing. From that sound that he created for that song, he got the idea for the chipmunks, and so I didn't understand is how they do it. So here's how they do it. They slow down the music to halftime. So it's real slow. Guy sings the song. Want a plane that loops the loop. I still want a hula hoop. Marry that to the original music. So it's the same key, meaning it's an I octave see. higher. I see. But so it's still in the I same see. key. Yep, got it. But this is 1958, and what blew me away is so they, they record they record a track. Yes. They slow it down to halftime. Correct. Someone sings to that. Yes. They speed the track back to normal speed. Yep. And now the vocal sounds like a chipmunk. Yep, it's an octave higher, an exact octave higher, meaning it's the music is then the same. You can do this so easily now in computers, but at the time... It was all done with tape. You're dealing with like moving a knob yeah. and, and getting it exact. And so Bagnasarian, he had Les Paul come over to his house in 1958. Les Paul, the great guitar player, but who invented the multi-track recording system actually went to this guy's house in 1958 to help them set this whole thing up which is pretty cool so cool. this guy he sang all three parts and his son is now doing it he owns the franchise yep. now and and does rights. and does the voices with his wife and so it's like this family business really because yeah, my kids recently have watched the chipmunks movie yeah i mean they're they're still going they're the most successful children's artist of all time the Chipmunks have garnered two number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100. They've won five Grammy Awards, had four top 10 albums on the Billboard 200, and three certified platinum albums. And the Chipmunk song, the Christmas song we were talking about, became one of the best-selling singles of all time at five million physical copies sold. So this is no joke. I mean, this is a number one band, but completely for children. 
and really annoying. And I mean, I, and I say that with love. Like it's it's you can't listen to this stuff for very long because right. it's so it gets under your skin. It gets under your skin. But the songs were catchy, and the, they have to be in the discussion because of their enormous success that's been sustained since the fifties. It's incredible. Yeah. Got to be in the conversation. I want to suggest an album by Ziggy Marley. Oh yeah. Called Family Time. It's his third studio album, which is interesting to me that three studio albums into his career, he's like, "You know what? I'm going to do a children's album." Yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> it was released in 2009, and he earned a Grammy for best musical album for children, and a portion of the proceeds that were donated to a school in his hometown in Jamaica. The song features a bunch of guest artists. I want to play just a snippet of three of those songs. The first one is a song called Cry, 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 and it features Jack Johnson. He does reggae, but it's not all reggae. No. He does, like, he's got sort of a Jack Johnson uh, strumming pattern. 100%. This feels like a Jack Johnson Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the songs on this are not straight reggae. I'm gonna cry, cry, cry. Set the children free. It's just got a nice vibe to it. Totally. The next one is a song featuring one of my favorite artists, Paul Simon. The song is called Walk Tall. Walk tall, walk tall. Even if you fall, get up. Stand tall, stand tall. Even if you fall, get up. I mean, these are, these are some big guests. These are some big guests. I and mean, it's real. Here's. Do you remember when the Bob Marley box set came out? I think we were probably sophomores or juniors in high school. Remember okay. that? Yep. It included an acoustic version of Bob playing a medley of songs, which included him playing a song called This Train. This train. This train is bound to glory. This train. Talking about my... This train is bound to glory. This train. This train is bound to glory. This train carry no one only. This train I'm talking about. I remember very clearly when that Bob Marley box set came out listening to this particular song over and over. Huh. Well, in on this record of Ziggy Marley's, he does a version of this train featuring Willie Nelson. Nice. Let's listen. My daddy used to sing this song. Now I've grown to be a man. It lingers deep within my soul. Lingers deep within my soul. This train is bound for glory. This train. So, because I was thinking about this album and thinking about this show, yesterday I was driving with uh, our eight-year-old twins, and I put this song on. And within about 15 seconds, my son Merritt, who's our youngest, says, I don't like this at all. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, maybe you didn't like this song. So I changed, then went to the next song. I don't like this either. <laughs> So my theory of this being like a best album for kids was totally blown up by a focus group of one. (laughs) Wonder what it was. I don't know. But then I switched to a playlist on Spotify that my wife had put together. And it was, um, I guess I just feel like by John Mayer. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Mary was like, this is more like it. (laughs) I guess I just feel like I guess I just feel like Have I told my Ziggy Marley story on on this show? (laughs) I don't think you have, but I like this one. So I was there. (laughs) This is probably 2002, Clint? Yeah. New Haven. New Haven. Clint and I are playing... We're opening for Ziggy Marley. And, you know, I didn't think it was a terribly good idea because (laughs) the music that I was playing, I was very concerned would not go over well with Ziggy Marley's audience. And, but I thought it was pretty cool. 
you know, there we were opening for Ziggy Marley, you know, the son of one of the greats of all time. I remember just before the show, his head of security came and he was wearing, um, I remember very clearly, fingerless gloves, just this <laughs> as a as a visual. <laughs> he introduced his name as Snoopy. And uh, Snoopy said there were three rules because I was going to do a, a series of shows opening for Ziggy Marley. And he, he said, there's three rules, man. Number one, no talking to Ziggy. I'm like, okay, I got okay, that. Got that. That's pretty easy. Number two, no talking to Ziggy. <laughs> Number three, I'm like, okay, no talking to Ziggy. He's like, yeah, no talking to Ziggy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, over the course of that run of shows, I never did talk to Ziggy. No, no. <laughs> but uh, I do enjoy his album, Family Time. That's amazing. What was it? Wasn't there a lady who was like, "Oh yeah, we because I was worried that that his audience would be like, what is going on? Why is this singer songwriter opening for Ziggy Marley?" We changed one of our songs to have sort of a reggae feel to it, and I maybe said before we play, "We're gonna do a reggae version of this next one," and we were finished, and and this really. <laughs> boisterous Jamaican woman in the front row uh, said after we were done, I got news for you, man. That wasn't reggae. <laughs> <laughs> and we never tried oh, that again. Well, that was a reggae-influenced one. Yeah. I'm going to talk about the Johnny Cash children's album. As Ziggy Marley put it at, as his third album, this was Johnny Cash's 49th album. Wow. So it took him a little bit to get there, but he got there. And it was released on Columbia Records in 1975. And it, it contains songs written for children. Um, so that's incredible. Think about the output. So 1975... Johnny Cash probably came onto the scene in late 50s. Late 50s. Yeah. So under 20 years, he's got 49 records. Right. It, that was the era, right? It was, that was it the was, era. It was just cranking out. Cranking albums. out. At least a couple albums a year. So one of my favorite ones is One and One Makes Two. Let's have a listen to that. Oh, the number one is not my favorite number. Because one means only me and there's no you. But one plus one, you see, makes two, that's you and me. And it's more fun when one and one make two. Oh, I mean, it just sounds like a Johnny Cash album. That's the thing. It's like, right. if you're a parent and, you're, and you love Johnny Cash, this is like a perfect melding of the two because it's got funny, it's got learning, it's got all the things, simple melodies, all the things that you want your kids to be interpreting and, and, and ingesting right but it sounds just like a Johnny Cash thing like Johnny Cash doing children's songs so you're in the world of Johnny Cash for sure so and that that low voice of Johnny Cash is, is like a children's book character yeah he is a character for sure you're right that's probably what makes this one of the great ones one of the ones that stands the test of time is that he is a character his voice is it's, it's almost like you're reading a book and this guy comes on, you know, it's, it's like he's the troll from the bridge. Right, right. You'll have more fun when one and one make two. We're past the Christmas season, Clint, but I feel like any conversation about greatness in this particular genre should include a mention of the Vince Guaraldi trio's Charlie Brown Christmas. Nice. Vince Guaraldi was born in San Francisco in 1927, and by the late 50s had become a well-known and well-regarded jazz composer in the relatively small world of jazz. In 1962, he included one solitary original composition on an album of French and Brazilian jazz tunes. But it was that tune that DJs began to play. 
and it climbed the top 100, eventually peaking at 22. Hmm. Rare for a jazz song. The song was called Cast Your Fate to the Wind. And it was a song that fans would request at shows for the rest of his career. And he said he never minded playing it because it was like signing the back of the check. <laughs> the San Francisco Chronicle jazz critic, Ralph J. Gleason, once asked him if he ever felt like he'd sold out with that song because the song was much more accessible than some of the other songs. And Garaldi replied, no, I bought in. Ha! And I love that response. Oh, it's so good. Wow. But it was that same writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, Ralph J. Gleason, that would play a pivotal role in connecting Garaldi to the world of Charlie Brown. In 1963, television producer Lee Mendelson was putting together a documentary on the Peanuts, the Charles Schultz cartoon strip. And Mendelson was driving across the Golden Gate Bridge when he heard Cast Your Fate to the Wind on the radio. Mendelssohn called Gleason to ask about the song. Who is this guy? Gleason connected Mendelssohn to Garaldi, and he called Garaldi, and he said he was working on a documentary, and, and would he be interested in writing some songs for the project? Garaldi was so glad to get a call in that moment because he'd just written a song that thrilled him so much that he asked Mendelssohn if he could play it for him then and there over the phone. Mendelssohn <laughs> said, no, no, don't play for me. I'll come to your studio. Garaldi said, no, no. If I don't play it right now, I'm going to explode. Wow. So over the phone, Garaldi played this song. Unbelievable. Mendelssohn could hear in that moment that the song was the perfect tone and sensibilities of Charles Schultz's Peanuts characters. The song would ultimately be called Linus and Lucy. The documentary Mendelssohn was working on was shelved, but two years later, Mendelssohn and Schultz brought Garaldi on board for the Peanuts Christmas special, A Charlie Brown Christmas. And the soundtrack contains the songs Linus and Lucy, Christmas Time is Here, and of course, Skating. Vince Guaraldi's name is so linked to Charlie Brown. One reason for that is that he would die suddenly of a heart attack about 10 years later, at the age of 47. He was playing a set at Butterfield's nightclub, south of San Francisco in Menlo Park. He finished the first set with his interpretation of the Beatles' Eleanor Rigby. They took a set break, and he dropped to his knees and had a fatal heart attack. Whoa. But a Charlie Brown Christmas lives forever. Here's the other thing about kids' music that I was thinking is that a lot of times anything can be a kid's song, right? It's kind of what you put it with. It's kind of the visual that it goes over. Like a lot of these cartoons back in the day or even the Pixar movies now that use these popular songs that weren't made for kids. But once it's in the context of that, a kid's movie, a kid's show, something for younger people it takes on a new life like the song send me on my way right in ice age it's not a kid's song in any way and yet anytime a kid hears it they're like oh that's the song from ice age it was like it was made for them 
It's so funny you say that because we were driving yesterday. We heard Aha's Take On Me. Yeah. And Merritt said, oh, that's that's in Minions. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's a kid song in yeah. a way. I mean, yeah. any totally. song is a kid song. Wow, that's so cool about Vince Guaraldi. I didn't know he died at a gig. That might be an interesting episode at some point, too. Like the people that have died at gigs. Parenthetical request to our listeners that if you have ideas for questions that we should answer, let us know. Well, I would like to hold my My next one is going to be Jack Johnson and Friends sing-alongs and lullabies for the film Curious George. Oh, yeah. Which was just, it was a soundtrack album for the 2006 animated film Curious George. A lot of this record is just Jack Johnson songs. Right. Like I'm saying, put into context. Like the song that, like the, the big single was called Upside Down. And if it wasn't in Curious George, it would have been a it hit. It would have been a hit. But because it was married to that visual and that whole concept, it feels very kids-like. But if it wasn't in that context, I'm not sure it would. Who's to say what's impossible they forgot? This world keeps spinning and with each new day, I can feel a change in everything. At that time, the demographic that was primarily interested in Jack Johnson was just starting to have a family, right? Right, yeah, absolutely. And Jack Johnson was probably having kids around the same time. Right. So he's inspired to inspire his kids. Yes. So, yeah. I want to turn the whole thing upside down I'll find the things they say just can't be found I'll share this love I find with everyone. I remember these songs very clearly. Oh, I love that song so much. Well, the album topped the charts in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and remained number one for four consecutive weeks. On February 25th, it became the first soundtrack to reach the top of the U.S. Billboard 200 chart since the Bad Boys 2 soundtrack in August 2003, and the first animated film to top the chart since the Pocahontas soundtrack in July 1995. Hmm. So it did really well, and I believe it, it still lives on as one of the great kids' records. All right, you've already mentioned the Beatles, and so it's not going to surprise our listeners that we're going to talk about the Beatles. Uh, Rich and Clint talk about the Beatles. In fact, the Beatles themselves, the actual versions, as you say, are beloved by kids. The measure of their greatness that kids are drawn to those songs. But the album all together now, Beatles stuff for kids of all ages from 2008, was actually recorded specifically for kids. And it's great. There are some great cameos throughout. Here's Love Me Do with Marshall Crenshaw. Good Day Sunshine with the Bangles. Good Day Sunshine. Good Day Sunshine. Good Day Sunshine. I need to laugh. And when the sun is out. Here's a fun version of Hello Goodbye with Steve Conti. Speaking of the Beatles, here's a text I received from the one and only Jeff Simons. The question of best albums for kids is fun because the ones made for kids are mostly garbage. (laughs) But kids love some records so much. Sgt. Pepper, for example. Both my kids freaked for it and thought it was like a story about a band that couldn't get back home or something. 
but I think the best songs written for children are in the first Muppet movie. Huh. Rainbow Connection, I'm going back there someday, moving right along, etc. Like six bangers in that one. Wow. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. I do love those songs from the Jim Henson universe. I mean, Rainbow Connection is just one of the great songs ever written. So it was written by Paul Williams and Kenneth Asher for the Muppet movie in 1979. They got together one night at Paul Williams' house to write a song for the opening scene. Jim Henson had said that it would be Kermit sitting on a log playing a banjo and singing. They knew they wanted the song's theme to be about rainbows, but they got stuck. They couldn't come up with a chorus, so they took a break for dinner, and they were explaining the challenge to Williams' wife that they needed somehow to have the words in the chorus have a rainbow connection. And they looked at each other, and they're, and they're like, that's it. That's it. The rainbow connection. That's amazing. The song went on to have unexpected success in the charts, peaking at 25 in the Billboard Hot 100. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbow. That's amazing. I was, as a songwriter, as I've grown older, my whole intent is to keep it as simple as possible, which is hard to do. The more you know about music, the harder it is to be simple, right? Because you know all the things that you could do, but keeping it so simple is what makes things great. And and that's what, it, when you're writing for kids, it's the same thing, but what's the difference, right? It's exactly the same. You're just writing a song. Simple and good is the best kids music, I think. Who said that every wish would be heard and answered when wished on the morning star? All right, for my, my last one. It's one of my... I really like this record for a lot of reasons. It's called Not For Kids Only by Jerry Garcia and David Grisman. Oh, yeah. And these guys were just old friends for many, many years. They met in the 60s, and they would jam together throughout their years. And in 1993, they recorded a record called Not For Kids Only. And it's basically an album of folky standards and traditional tunes. So it's it's not like it's uh, they were writing new music for kids. They were taking these old traditional songs and just doing their versions of them. But there's something so simple and fun about this record. It's just two dudes playing together live in a room. Freight train, freight train, run so fast. Please don't tell what train I'm on. They won't know what route I'm going. That's what I think is so beautiful about this record. Their banter between them is funny. A lot of times they'll just go back and forth. Like, for example, the song Arkansas Traveler. Let's check out that for a second. stranger hello there stranger does this road go all the way to little rock i've been standing here all day and it hasn't gone nowhere yet so it's like they play this little melody and then they talk to each other and then there's a funny one-liner and then they play the hook again and then they talk to each other and there's a funny one-liner and it's just it feels real homey and, and safe hello stranger hello again stranger your corn looks awful little and yeller i planted the little yeller kind I remember this record because it has Teddy Bear's Picnic on it. And it's a song that was part of my childhood. If you go down to the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down to the woods today, you better go in disguise. For every bear that ever there was will gather there 
for certain because today's the day the teddy bears have their pig Nick and so I love that that they did their version of that yeah right and same with Jenny Jenkins which is one of the other standouts just a, a classic tune done well by those two guys Will you wear white, oh my dear, oh my dear? Will you wear white, Jenny Jenkins? No, I won't wear white, for the color's too bright. I'll buy me a foldy, rolly, tilly, tolly, seek a double, use it, cause it rolls to find me. Roll, Jenny Jenkins, roll. And again, it's like one of these things where if you're a huge Grateful Dead fan, and you're raising your kids, you're like... This is what I want to listen to. It's a balance, and that's what the whole thing of the children's genre is. It's like a balance between parents and kids and finding middle ground so that you can both enjoy long car rides. You just nailed it. That's it. That you just it. nailed it. Will you wear blue, oh my dear, oh my dear? Will you wear blue, Janet Jenkins? No, I won't wear blue for the colors to I'll buy me a foldy, roly, tilly, tolly, seek a double, use it, cause it rolls to find me. Roll, Jenny Jenkins, roll. Should we go to the comments? Let's do it. Let's go to the comments. From Mark on Facebook, Rich and Clint just finished the latest podcast on best closing lyrics. You did it, but until the last second... (laughs) I was losing my mind thinking about a couple fellow Beatles fanatics that were going to miss the end. (laughs) Great job as usual. Nice. Thanks, Mark. Sorry to give you a panic. (laughs) From my dad, Clint. Nice. Who wrote to me after listening to the same episode. The one on best closing lyrics. One of your nominees was the Led Zeppelin tune. Mm -hmm. Remember which one? Fool in the Rain. What's the kicker at the end of that? They were on the wrong corner. He was on the wrong street. So my dad wanted us to be aware of a song by The Rays okay. called Silhouettes with a similar concept. Now, before I get into the song, The Rays were a doo-wop group from the late 50s. This song, Silhouettes, is from 1957, and it peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100. So let's see, 57, my dad would have been about 14. Okay. We've talked about how the age 14, 15, 16, that's the sweet spot for definitive music in your life. Yeah. Okay, here are the lyrics to Silhouettes. Took a walk and passed your house late last night. All the shades were pulled down and drawn way down tight. From within, the dim light cast two silhouettes on the shade. Oh, what a lovely couple they made. Put his arms around your waist, held you tight. Kisses I could see almost taste in the night. Whoa. Wondered why I'm not the guy whose silhouettes on the shade. I couldn't hide the tears in my eyes. The song continues. Let me in or else I'll beat down your door when two strangers who had been two silhouettes on the shade said to my shop, you're on the wrong block. When two strangers <laughs> who would have been the silhouettes on the shade said to my shock, you're on the wrong block. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so great. I'm not I'm not saying that Robert Plant and Jimmy Page <laughs> ripped them ripped off, off the the Rays, but my dad is. <laughs> that is awesome. Good one. All right, wow. Giles A. Smith shared a funny video of a guy who'd seen an ad for a falafel restaurant that reminded him of something. The ad said, "Buy now, hummus and wow, extra large falafel meal for two." This guy in the video turned that into. Giles, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Giles. It's good fun. <laughs> you mentioned you were just in Vegas. You went to the sphere with Peter Day, but you also went with Ryan Alfiero, who's yeah. a great friend of ours from Middlebury, member of the Grift over the years. Yep. Ryan, in response to our show about the greatest song about songs, sent us a brilliant voicemail 
about the fact that we had missed the greatest song about songs. And we did miss it. And, and yes, we've already done this in an episode where somebody had commented this, but he left such a great voicemail that we got to just, yes. you got to hear We're it. letting Ryan's admonition into the public record here. <laughs> That's right. Hey boys, your old pal Ryan Alfiero here. I uh, hope you're doing well. I wanted to say thank you for uh, everything you're doing on the podcast. It's a blast to listen to. Uh, I listen to every episode. Um, and in particular, I know you guys have doomed yourself to a life where everything everyone says to you now must just be, how could you leave out the greatest song ever written, man? Like, that must be just how you live. Uh, so you have my admiration and respect for that. That is not an easy life. Um, and as a listener, I understand that frustration because uh, I'll listen along and uh, TV theme songs. I was like, you got to say Angela, Taxi, the theme from Taxi. You got to say Angela. And I, so I get it. But that's not why I called. I, in this case, am not frustrated. I am elated that you missed a big one uh, for the episode on songs about songwriting because it gives me the chance to participate here this is what you missed it's an epic it's a song about uh good and evil uh, god and the devil life and death and it's an extra surprising miss clint because i happen to know how much you love it this song is not the greatest song in the world no. this is just a tribute It's just a matter of opinion. I love you guys. Keep up the good work. Fleegoogoo. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Awesome. So, where do we go from here, Clint? Are we ready to to say what is the best music for children? I think I'm ready. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What do you got? You go first. I look. I'm gonna say it's the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> Just in general, <laughs> shocker. <laughs> I'm gonna say it's the Beatles because you're right. This is the education for our kids of what how they understand what great music is, how they understand what great song structure is. Right. And I think Jeff made a really good point. You made this point earlier that it, the songs themselves don't have to be written for kids to be great songs for kids. Right. So this may be a major cop out. <laughs> but if I if I have to choose an album for kids, then I'm going to go back to all together now, Beatles stuff for kids of all ages from 2008. Great. Love me, do. Oh, love me, do. No surprise there. Now, for me, I think the greatest children's album of all time is, I will also say before I say, that the Beatles are number one. Yeah, okay. The Beatles are number one. For the sake of variety, you're going you're gonna to choose something I'm going to choose something else. I did a bunch of research for this episode, and I listened to a lot of children's music. And I got to say, my favorite were the Johnny Cash ones. One of the great children's albums of all time. You love Johnny Cash. You I do. Ha you have a soft spot. There's something about about Gil, your dad. Yeah, that's what it that's is. That's very Johnny Cash. -y. Yeah, I can see that. There's something very uh, familiar and comforting about that record, which is interesting because that's what children's music is supposed to be, right? Of course. So it did it, even though I'm not a kid. 
it gave me the feeling of being a kid listening to it this week, which is funny. That's it's exa you're exactly right. It's it's completely my dad and the feeling it gives me when I hear his voice. Did we do it? I think this week we actually did it. I think we did it too. We hope you had fun, as much fun as we did, and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. Also, if you're digging the podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash theageoldquestion and consider becoming a part of our Age Old Question family. With your support, we'll be able to answer many more age-old questions. Thanks. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house? The happy family? The money? 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.